Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Allie Burns of Edmonton, Alberta. Allie will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Nick Capodice, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it, Law and Order. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at The Mothership, Season 17, Episode 9, Deadlock. I was seeking to have Vorgich legally executed. And I executed him. How can you come after me for that? Because New York doesn't have a do-it-yourself death penalty, Mr. Purcell. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting podcast, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. Would you say that I am the Peyton Manning to your Eli or the Eli to your Peyton? Uh, you could say that, and I would like to take a knife in the neck <laughs> defending that. Rounding out our panel is our special guest from the Civics 101 podcast. It's Nick Capodice. Nick! When you're talking about the death penalty, things get pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> Takes you to a new place when you're talking about the death penalty. You go yeah. to a new place. And that's what we're talking about this episode. Rebecca, can you tell all of our listeners why they, they got a uh, a rerun last week? Because we recorded this episode <laughs> two weeks ago, and I accidentally deleted the audio file. <laughs> I did not know we were going to come clean it. with this. I thought we were going to pretend this didn't happen. No, I was going to make a joke at the beginning like, it's kind of like deja vu talking to you guys. But I didn't do that because I didn't know we were going to out me either. But sometimes, Well, now we can have the inside jokes. Sometimes out. shit happens. Sometimes yeah. it happens. Sometimes it happens. And um, I'm going to try to pretend that it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> and Nick is going to try to not take offense to it because he thought he did such a poor job the I first thought, time around. I thought this was all a ruse. Nope. Like, Ruse. Nope. It no. was my incompetence, boys. No, so we actually we brought Nick back. We're doing the same episode. Yes. We've got the same bad jokes. I was like that, that, that the, weird brunette again, lady that, cop on this episode who like this disappears like, after a while because she doesn't do such a great job. Yeah. <laughs> the worst Groundhog Day. He keeps getting stabbed, keeps having that incompetent lady cop. Yep. So even though uh, we have just had this discussion with Nick, we're going to have to have it again. That's right. So, Nick, the, the Civics 101 podcast, um, it's all about a, a refresher course on how government yeah, works, Yeah, the basics right? of our demo- – the, the questions that you're embarrassed to ask because you should know the answer. You should have learned it in uh, sixth grade. Like, what does a whip do? Or uh, what does the chief of staff do? Or something like, what is the basis for the death penalty, which is coming up? Yeah, yeah. So, you would say that law and order is a good representation of how <laughs> – 
the government actually works. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I don't know how. I, I actually don't know what to say about that. I think uh, Law and Order teaches a lot of people about how criminal law works, but there's not a whole ton. It doesn't always dip its toe into, uh, say, the Constitution and federal law and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But in this episode, it does, mm. which I think is kind of interesting. It's this episode and every episode where there's like another agency like um, a federal agency oh, yeah. or when they have to have like a military crime and they're oh, like yeah. this isn't your jurisdiction sir and that's the only other time we get that but yeah and death penalty ones that's no, basically where it comes but down. the killer mailed the letter from manhattan so we have jurisdiction <laughs> now do they ever go up to the supreme court in law and order there Did was they... yeah there was one where we recently well, watched where jack well, in, we wanted to. In this, this one, they, they appeal to, I believe, what is supposed to be the state Supreme Court. Right. right. But, uh, no, they don't ever but do an Jack episode that takes take seven years. And then and then uh, Fred Thompson says no? Isn't that what happens in this one? Or is that a, am I conflating it with another one? I think you're should... conflating it with another one. Okay. He tries to take it there, but uh, the, the judge doesn't let it happen. Yeah, yeah. Now, Nick, you're also an actor. Oh, How many yeah. uh, Law & Order credits do you have on your IMDb page? <laughs> I have I have no Law & Order credits on my IMDb page, but I will say it is a rite of passage for uh, many New York actors mm. to, like, when was your first episode? My favorite bartender in New York, he's been in more Law & Order episodes than you can shake a stick at. As every, a bartender? As, as, <laughs> no, usually as a Russian thug <laughs> or a police officer. And every <laughs> night he's like, I'm like, what you working on? He's like, hey, Nikki, I got Law & Order on Friday, I got SVU on Thursday, then I got Blue Bloods. <laughs> then I got the damages, Nikki. The, the damages is where it's at. Does he have like a weird scar? That's why he keeps. No, getting... he's bald and very handsome mm. and oh. uh, very smart. He's does he a do a actor. Russian accent well? Sure, he does. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes, yes, no. That means naturally in Russian. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever try out for a Law and Order? I never did. I was the kind of actor who never liked to audition for things. I, I waited for them <laughs> to call me, <laughs> and they did. Never for anything good. <laughs> the, the real bottom of the barrel stuff called my phone. Mm. Um, I have to get you guys a photo of my headshot. It's embarrassing thing. <laughs> oh, perfect. So that, did you ever get a call and say, we need a second cadaver? How do <laughs> you look naked? cadaver yeah, too. Yeah, How do you yeah, look naked? Yeah. No. But no, no, I, that never happened. How do your legs and feet look? Yeah, okay. I know. Uh, the waxing never happened. Yeah, my feet are terrible. I was flat-footed from the get-go. Now, Nick, of all the franchises on Law & Order, which two detectives are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law & Order detective team. Briscoe and Curtis. Yeah. Gotta go Briscoe and Curtis. Mm, Ray Curtis. Ray Curtis. Doesn't often come up in the favorites conversation. I, straight, I mean, Briscoe is clearly my is yeah. my favorite because yeah. I, you know, again, living in New York, I was quite familiar with the fact that Jerry Orbach gave the gift of sight to, to poor New Yorkers. Mm. <laughs> by donating his by eyes. By donating his yeah. eyes. And uh, I just thought, I always thought he was a kind of a nice foil to that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Ray Curtis, because we keep having these podcast episodes with Law and Order, with, with Ray Curtis on it, because Rebecca keeps making reruns out of them. <laughs> So, Nick, who is your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Um, McCoy and Schiff. Is that is that his name? Schiff? Yeah, Schiff is the original DA. Oh, yeah. I love that guy. He reminds me of all the great old Peter Boyle-ish actors. Sort of a, more like furniture than an actor. <laughs> Very leathery. You kind of want to sit on his leather and just let him <laughs> prosecute. <laughs> Tell you not to do stuff. Don't oh, sit on my leather. <laughs> you can't get that. <laughs> is, that guy, is it one of those guys who's like, you shouldn't do that. Yes. Yeah. And the great thing about Schiff and McCoy is that neither of them can speak except for sort of a raspiness. So between the two of them, you just sort of have this wheezing this pair this male vocal fry. <laughs> yeah, male vocal fry. Yeah. All right, let's take a look at the first half of this episode, Law & Order Season 17, Episode 9, Deadlock. And just to note, in this episode, we will be talking about a school shooting. 
Two guards are debating which Manning brother is the better quarterback when inmate Leon Vorgich, whom they're escorting, slips his cuffs and stabs them both with a plastic shiv. And because they're debating some bullshit about which Manning brother's better, <laughs> of course, they both deserve to die. A lot of folks going to remember this face. It doesn't place. You slaughtered five people in a burger joint in 97. The Midtown Massacre? That I remember. I was working narcotics around the corner at the time. I was one of the first to respond. I testified at his trial. They put him on death row. Three times over, but they changed the law before they got the needle in him. Now, Green and Cassidy are apparently all by themselves looking for Vorgich all throughout Manhattan. They go to his mom, to his brother, to his baby mama, to a guy selling wieners in the street, which for <laughs> once literally means a guy selling wieners in the street. Uh, they rough up Pedro, who sends them to a really fat guy named Skinny, who he then stabbed and stole a gun from. His friend Rex says all he wants to do is ask his mom forgiveness before the cancer gets her. <laughs> Vorgich slips out a window at the hospital and Green chases him right into a Catholic school. He holds a whole classroom hostage, but before Van Buren can get a negotiator, a truck backfires and Vorgich shoots up the class. Four little kids are dead and Green comes this close to shooting the suspect now in custody. Okay, so this is an unusual episode in part because unlike other law and order formats, you know, the first half is the investigation. But instead of investigation, this is essentially a chase. Yeah, it's so a TikTok. It's a TikTok, right? Yeah, and the clock's even ticking. I never Literally. see that in an episode. You see it. It's, it's just not. It's 904, 53, 54, yeah. Yep. 55. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we have to do something special for uh, for this this episode. Mm, we have to There's distract some... people from the random brunette lady cop that nobody knows <laughs> by breaking format. Okay, well, let's jump right to her, Okay. <laughs> Uh, Green is out with junior detective Nina Cassidy. You're on parole, right? She says you're a meth head? Recover, meth head. Oh, I guess recovery's not going so hot. You remember, of course, what her big investigative contribution was. I'm Star 69. No dial tone. I guess Rex doesn't pay to have a landline. The Star 69? Star 69, <laughs> oh, yes. <right. laughs> We never uh, thought of that before. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's oh, oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, Cassidy is our first and only female detective. Yep. And her backstory, her story is that over Van Buren's objections, uh, she got placed in the detective bureau after her role in a shootout at mm. a beauty salon. Right. And so she got the nickname in the press, Detective Beauty Queen. And Van Buren did not take a shine to her at all. And at the end of that season, season 17, apparently she screwed up a um, an interrogation and Van Buren had her transferred. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I know, Rebecca, you think that... She's boring. She's super boring and doesn't add anything to the episode. Yes, I do think those things. But, you know, she has a... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's entirely her fault. No? What do you, what no, do you think? Whose no. fault do you think it is? Oh, I mean, it's the fault of whomever cast her for the season. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but she, you know, she probably didn't advocate for this. It's just something she had to do to fill a year. Yeah. No, well, um, it's true. It's it's not. I mean, for the opportunity they had to cast a female detective in one of these Law & Order series for the first time ever, it was like a wah, wah yeah, well, situation. Was she the first? First female detective, right? Oh, yeah, I didn't yeah. Know this. I mean, we had lots of uh, ADAs who were females. We had, well, Van Buren is, you know, the captain, but as far mm -hmm. as, you know, one of the two. Two detectives we see running around. She was the first and only on original Law and Order. Now she was cast by Dick Wolf himself, apparently, <laughs> because she had a role on a different Law and Order spinoff show called Conviction, right? Which starred Stephanie March from SVU in her character. Mm -hmm. um, she, uh, Melina Govich, who was the actress, she played ADA Jessica 
Rossi, mm-hmm. and I, I think the show was on for like six or eight episodes. And they the day they the day after they canceled it, he hired her to play right. this detective. She had to fulfill her contract, her Dick Wolfian contract. <laughs> yeah, the Dick Wolfian a contract. Faustian bargain, <laughs> a Dick Wolfian contract. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I really liked the procedural first part of this episode, even though they were you made the joke they were like doing it by themselves around Manhattan, but they kept referring to this like elusive recovery or response team or whatever it was. Oh, yeah, people then, keep saying they're going to yeah, come and they never and come. Yeah, and like the way they save money was they'd be like, the response team is eight blocks away. And then it was just a scene with the two of us. We don't have to cast all those actors who would play the response team. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I did actually like the pace and the structure of this first part of the episode. But I did spend an inordinate amount of it wondering who the hell this woman was <laughs> and whether or not she was going to die in the episode because I had never seen her before and I'd never remembered seeing her again. And then I realized I'd seen her in lots of episodes. Mm-hmm. I just forgot about her. Well, season 17 is not one that is in super high rotation, you know, on the weekends on the, on the different networks. So it does come up, is you know. Is it because she's in it? She's, <laughs> it's because she's not marketable. <laughs> you can't make a promo and, like, call her back to be in the promo. You know how they have those promos on, like, Ion mm-hmm. that have, like, m- like present-day Jesse L. Martin and present-day Serena Sutherland actress in it. And, like, and they're, like, standing there in their cop pose. Like, she wouldn't come back and do that for, like, the ten episodes that she's in in which she's super boring. I think it probably wouldn't be worth it. <laughs> I, I would like to jump in here to voice my disagreement with Rebecca on that. I would, right. After a second watching, that first half uh, of this episode, episode it felt like i was looking at an editor who was sitting sweating in a basement uh-huh. with like three hours of footage like what am i gonna do with this <laughs> how am i gonna cut this down and just it felt like every cut and every scene was just sort of grammed in there and um i felt it uh, it didn't really didn't really move me that way yeah i, mean, I didn't really enjoy well there part. were a lot of but what he left in or she <laughs> were all the most ham-fisted like law and ordery type like oh, scenes yeah. like Police! Search warrant! Going to the guy Skinny's apartment. Of course, he's fat. And of course, Classic. there's an open box of pizza on the <laughs> Just in case they don't get it. And then also Just in the... case you didn't understand that the guy's fat, it's because he eats like this all the time when he's alone. And the old, the old, the actress head wrap, which says, I have cancer exactly. head wrap. And yeah. 20 bottles on the table and a line, a throwaway line. I just have to get to see my doctor. Right. Why? Believe it or not, we find out later that she has cancer. Yeah. Uh, before we jump off of Nina Cassidy, not that anybody ever jumped on her, but um, <laughs> uh, uh, Rebecca, you're from New York. Yep. Um, Nick as well? I mean, I lived there 15 years. Okay, can, can I get a rating on her accent? Just do the right thing and help us find your brother. For what? So you can gun him down in the street? If Leon cooperates, he won't be harmed. <laughs> That's crap. <laughs> I don't know what it was. Yeah, I don't know. You don't know what it was? When she, she was when, transplanted to the department, you know? She tried something funny when she called the cell phone of Vorgich, and she went, hello, like that. <laughs> she was trying something. <laughs> so like, she gave it a go. I think it was something like... Um, hey, Rex, how's it going? Hey, Rex. That's right. <laughs> That's right. She was basically window dressing for Jesse L. Martin's, like, maybe police misconduct oh, yeah. behavior in this first half, in which every scene in which he, like, he's going to beat somebody up. Yeah. And but, she was, but, like, the worst. The window dressing next to that. Yeah, it's very different uh, episode for Green because he's usually, you know, the smooth, even-tempered one. Because he's gorgeous. Because he's gorgeous. And he's always been that character. But this one, he's really channeling his inner Sipowitz mm-hmm. and really threatening to beat up anybody who doesn't talk to him. Mm-hmm. You're going to give us the names of people that might be helping him, or I swear to God, I will take you down. Names! Come on! All right, all right. Because it's urgent. <laughs> 
it's so urgent that he makes her play like good cop in the interrogation room <laughs> when they talk to that dude. What's his name? Watch the door. You already admitted that you helped him get that gun. So when I'm done with you here, I'm calling the DA in here. He's gonna charge you with co-conspiracy unless you tell me what I want to know. Hey, brunette cop lady, um, go stand by the door as if like he's gonna beat the guy up. Meanwhile, the door is next to a giant window. Yeah. So it's like what <laughs> no are you, privacy. Yeah. What are you watching for? Everyone knows that mirror is a window. Like everyone who's ever seen a cop show knows people are looking in through that window. Okay, we end up meeting the father of the guy killed in the Midtown Massacre, and he looks just like that douche with the beret and the biker mustache from <laughs> Mythbusters. I pray that bastard comes looking for me, and you can send the cops outside home. I got this. You got a permit for that? Of course. That son of a bitch comes looking for me, he'll finally get that death sentence. I swear to God I had a friend like that guy in college with the with the beautiful mustache that drooped down yeah. into his coffee. Now, really, the only reason we have this guy and we know that he's carrying a gun is because he's a redhead herring for the second half, yes. right? Because yes. we want to think this is the vigilante guy. His character could have been named Red McHerring for all it, it, it mattered. I mean, <laughs> Frank McGuffin. The, the, one Frank that, McGuffin. <laughs> the one thing about him that made me nervous was they were talking about how this guy, Vorgich, was like on the loose and was going to shoot him if he saw him. And the guy's like standing out on his um, fire escape, just like on. The, I'm like, get inside! Like, what is the matter with you? But then I realized when he showed them his gun and happened to have his permit also right in his pocket, he could look out for himself. He could look out for maybe. Himself. One of the unusual things about this episode is really how is graphic the right word? Yes, because it's <laughs> it's, it's graphic. Very graphic. Look, I mean, so I mean, it, this can be. It's sometimes a heavy show, but not a heavy show, right? And the way the first half winds up is with a bunch of dead kids on the floor. Yep. Which is something like, I don't think we've ever seen anything like that on Law and Order. I don't think you could see show that on TV right now nope. this year. You would no way you could make this episode right now. Never. It's so uh, so uh, visual, these poor young girls lying on the ground, and the, the camera lingered forever on their dead bodies. Yeah. It was yeah. rough. Yeah, and I, I just think about, you know, and I know that they're not exactly concurrent, like, year-wise, but I think about, like, what this episode was before. It was post-Columbine, mm-hmm. but it was before a bunch of other Like Sandy shootings, Hook and right? whatnot. Right, right. Oh, yeah. It was also, I don't know where it fit. I guess it was probably after, a few years before this, that Buffy the Vampire Slayer aired a school shooting episode, like, once, and then it got pulled from all the reruns, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, this is a time where, even then, when this episode came out, there was a sensitivity about, like, yeah, maybe you could do that storyline, but you don't show dead kids on the floor. Like, there was, this was bad. It was traumatic. I mean, we're now, like, in the post-Parkland era. Yeah, and the kids weren't just, um, uh, you know, lying face down asleep. I mean, they had... Oh, yeah. They, they went to uh, make hair and makeup that day yeah, and got yeah. blood spatter on their And their parents their let shirt. them do that. I would yes. think about that. <laughs> Those parents... You, I don't know if you were a child actor, just like an adult actor. Well, I was, I was, I was a mediocre child actor so, as well like, as a mediocre adult actor. I did some acting as a kid, yeah. So when you're the parent of a child actor... And it's like, your kid's going to be a corpse today. Or your kid's going to be a rape victim today. Or your kid's going to be a school shooting victim today. Like, How long do you think your kid can scream? <laughs> like, what is, is there a point at which 
I mean, are, are parents just like so psyched that their kids are getting butt work that they don't even like care about that? I I'm think just curious. I think that the people are very careful when they're working with uh, the quote unquote talent too, so that the kid never thinks that he's in danger and the right. kid doesn't even know really the circumstances of what he's in. It's right. kind of a fun afternoon. Mm-hmm. You get a bunch of squibs put on you. You're, it's not like we're going to talk about the seriousness of school shootings <laughs> to the actors. Right, right. I tried to look up these young ladies who put just to, just for peace of mind uh-huh. that they went up, as you said to me once, and had apple juice and, you know, oh, yeah, things they, are done. But I, I, they weren't listed on the credits page. Yes. It's hard to remember that that was a fake criminal. Right. Using a fake gun. <laughs> it's easy to, kill to fake remember kids. that. Yeah. It was just a yeah. shocking it visual. Is, but you're right. It is shocking nonetheless. And you would think that there's nothing funny that you could mine from but but <laughs> there are again i have a couple of questions <laughs> so during the standoff we see that the father rob purcell shows up he says his kids in the room with the perp she texts him she's getting sick diabetic shot she says she's getting dizzy and confused she's going into shock so i'm thinking you've got a woozy seven-year-old girl with a gun trained on her and she takes out her phone in front of the criminal and says dad i need my chocolate <laughs> Not dad. Not dad. Come save, save me. me There's from a the guy criminal. with a gun. Yeah. It's just like my blood sugar's low. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe he was already on his way to the school. I mean, the text happened earlier, but that's not what he said, right? No. <laughs> I, I couldn't make sense of the timeline of the di- of the Wilford Brimley medicine. I yeah. couldn't make sense. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I think like I would have been the dad, and I would have shown up, and I'd be like, "She forgot to tell me something about this <laughs> text." I'd be like, "What did you lead with that part of the message?" <laughs> There's a guy with a gun, and I am woozy. Yeah, I mean, the other part of that equation is like, you know, he has these kids at gunpoint, and a kid takes out their phone to text, and he's probably going to be like, put the phone down. She's like, just wait. Just one. Just one. He's telling my dad I need my diabetes medicine. Yeah, it's an absurd. It's an absurd setup to bring him into the scene. They could have just had him show up because he was around the corner and he heard there was a school shooting or a shooter in the school, right? Yeah, he could have. But like everything on Law and Order, it has to be a setup. Well, that's so you'll know later what's going on. Right, right. And of course, now the shooting itself is triggered, you could say somewhat accidentally, because the criminal hears a truck backfire in Mm. the street. What the hell was that? I don't know about how well they're doing at Pep Boys these days, but I don't hear trucks backfiring. (laughs) Why? Why does also, to happen? get out of a crime scene, there were vans everywhere. It's like, I just got to get out of here. I just got to deliver this plywood I to 47th yes. Street to Sam Ash. On a street that's locked down. Yeah, yeah. He's like, his three-point turn is going to take seven points to get out of this little, he's like, I got the bomb squad there. I got it, you know, so. Listen, those windows in that lady's apartment on 54th Street, they ain't going to glaze themselves, guys. <laughs> Something about this first half that I thought was uh, impressive acting-wise was uh, Ed Green. You call him Ed Green? You call him by his actor name, yeah. right? Yeah. Was Ed Green's uh, the moment where he had the gun up to Vorgic and he came this close to shooting him, but she, he showed restraint. You can't shoot me. I'm unarmed. Why'd you have to shoot them? Why not? Get him out of here. And it was a really cool moment because when you're talking about the death penalty, things are so heightened. People mm-hmm. are shot. People are murdered. There's no way you're going to prove Vorgic is innocent. There's mm. no question that he did it. So people are pushed to the very limits in these situations. And I thought he did a good job. I with think that. it's the re- the theme of the episode, which is who has the right, right. to make that life and death decision. Right. Right. And of course, we see, you know, Ed Green there with the gun, and you're wondering, you know, we're 27 minutes into this episode. Is he really gonna, you know, like shoot the guy and then be kicked out of the squad and replaced by? Uh, Anthony Anthony, Anthony Anderson. <laughs> Anthony Anderson. Yeah, no. I mean, it was an interesting... I mean, you had to wait till season 
nine for That's the mid-season replacement, right? That's true. But it, does, it is like just another episode in a series of episodes in which we see Green like on the brink or Green like, you know, in a situation where someone accuses him of having been on the brink. But I think that the interesting like thought experiment here, if you want to get like a little deep for a second, is what if he had shot him, right? If he had shot him, it probably would have been able to like pretty easily say, you know, probably Van Buren would have come to defense and been like, yeah, the guy had, he was, he was being threatened. You know, it would have been like, it would have been like that, right? Mm-hmm. So wouldn't it have just been cleaner and easier if he had? I mean, it's a thought experiment. I'm not advocating for that because clearly cops should not shoot people who are unarmed. Obviously, but I'm curious as to how the show would have handled oh, it. Oh, the the question of what if you take the law into your own hands? What happens? Yeah. <laughs> Did you not see the second half yes. of this episode? Well, I know that's where we're going, and I think that's why I said it. Cause I think that is what plays into the second half of the episode. I was trying to like tee it up for you, Kevin. All right, all right. Now, have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait! You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Let's look at the second half of this episode. Kiss my ass. <laughs> That's my defense. <laughs> the yeah. greatest line in the history of this show. Forgitch is arraigned on eight new murder charges, uh, but with him already serving a life sentence, what punishment could he face? Either we decline to prosecute Forgitch, or we waste three months on a murder trial with nothing at stake. No trial for eight dead? Two cops and four children. We owe the families. And what we owe them is Forgitch getting an arm full of poison. Not an option right now. McCoy can't seek the death penalty, but politics, 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 bullshit, 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 legal argument. Five (laughs) minutes later, McCoy still can't seek the death penalty. As Forgitch is escorted into the courthouse, something happens that's never happened on Law & Order ever, Mm. ever, ever. He's shot by Rob Purcell, the father of the little girl from the school. Purcell is represented by Dina Carter, a lawyer and candidate for state senate. McCoy wants to be merciful and offers a plea, but the headline-seeking lawyer says no and wants to take it to trial where she's confident of an acquittal. Ruberosa wonders if Carter put her client up to the shooting. On the stand, Purcell says he snapped when he heard Vorgich wouldn't get the death penalty, but McCoy's sanctimonious summation against vigilantism sways the jury and they surprisingly convict. Hmm. But just because he can't let shit go. (laughs) McCoy visits Purcell in prison where he admits Carter told him what time Vorgich would be arriving at court. He gets a sentence reduction and the political candidate gets indicted. Hmm. Okay, so uh, Jack and Connie are stuck because there's no way to punish this guy for eight new murders because he's already received a life sentence. So how do you punish this guy? With a... Spanking with a worse, <laughs> with a maybe like fewer privileges in his current prison situation. Supermax. Maybe, maybe you have Nina Cassidy read him bedtime stories in that horrible accent. I mean, here is the thing, <laughs> and I think one of the things that shows that are about the death penalty don't actually talk about in the dramatized version. They obviously don't talk about like all the other death penalty arguments on the ground. They talk mm-hmm. about sort of the loftier ones. Yeah. But one of the things that is never addressed, I think, properly, I mean, you have to listen to a podcast like In the Dark or whatever for it to be addressed properly, is how a life in prison, a life sentence in prison really is so much, so much worse. This guy was out and now he's back in 
and he's not going anywhere. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not saying I would feel the same if I were the father of one of those little kids. Obviously, revenge is different than capital punishment. I, I know, I know very few people who would take life imprisonment without possibility of parole over a death sentence. I mean, to me, that really? makes it's a far. Yeah. To people me, make that choice. People make that choice. This I'll just speak for myself. I would far prefer uh, a death sentence than life imprisonment without parole. Mm-hmm. Now, to bring everybody up to speed on what's happening regarding the death penalty in New York, because this plays a big Please role. Please do. In- I got to be honest. I didn't understand it at all. Okay. I had to read some extra stuff. <laughs> <laughs> People v. LaValle. <laughs> uh, right, exactly. People v. LaValle is the New York case that affects everything here. New York brought back the death penalty in 1995. And we remember that because Lenny Briscoe got drunk when that happened and <laughs> Claire Kincaid got killed. Yep. But in 2004, a state court ruled that it was unconstitutional in the state of New York, uh, having to do something essentially with the jury instruction that right. they thought was pre- prejudicial. And so it's kicked back to the legislature that doesn't act on it. So right now, we're, when this, sh- this show airs, it is in this period where nothing has happened. Eventually, New York abolishes the death penalty, but but it's still essentially on the books, hmm. but they can't pursue it. So this is where they are. So McCoy basically has it all figured out. He says the legislature hasn't fixed it, fixed it but you could, Your Honor. Laval states that you can't issue the old deadlock instruction because it's biased. And although the court declined to rewrite it, there's nothing to stop you trying. This is an issue that needs to be resolved, Your Honor. If the legislature won't do it, it's on us. Sure, why not? She why says. not? Sure. <laughs> and it's the impetus for the episode's name, Deadlock, which is if the jury is deadlocked, if it can't come to a conclusion, then it was left up to a trial judge to decide uh, the sentence for the person. Mm. So that's where that's why we call it Deadlock. It was a year after this episode, New York uh, overturns and you know bans the death penalty. So we can take comfort in knowing that even if Jack had been successful in his quest to get the death penalty against Borgage, he would have gotten a life sentence anyway, because I believe that all those death row inmates right. did not actually get executed once the death penalty was overturned. Right. No correct? One was, no one's been correct. executed in New York for a long time. Yes. 85 or something like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 So. Doesn't really matter. Retrospect. It doesn't matter. There are our philosophical questions. <laughs> did you guys know that in Utah, they still have the firing squad? I'd heard that. Yeah. 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 And too. one person gets the mercy bullet and the whole shebang. Yeah. Yeah. Shebang? The whole shebang. Yeah. Very That's good. Right. Hey, we have a Hey, It's That Girl. Hey, it's that girl. Do you remember? Now, you guys can like play along because no, we did this two weeks ago. No, I don't even remember talking about it, so let's <laughs> that's, that's, just be real. The actress who played Dina Carter, who was the politician slash attorney. My client believes that shooting Leon Borgich was the right thing to do. And if you agree, why are you charging him? And if not, that's a valid defense. Do you remember the name of the actress? Nope. Mm-mm. It's Catherine Dent. And do you know? Do you remember where we saw her? Nope. She, do you? <laughs> no. He told us. No. Do you remember? I don't watch these shows. <laughs> and she was the uh, the officer on The Shield, Danny Sofer. She was the female patrolman. Ah. You know, so as far as the headline-grabbing defense attorneys go, I mean, and there's one like every three episodes, uh, how do you think she did? She was fine. I mean, I would have liked to see her in a scene cross-examining Olivet. I mean, there was this whole off-screen reference to Olivet having examined mm-hmm. Borgich, which is a, every time they talk about Olivet or Dr. Wong or one of the or, or J.K. Simmons or one of like the the psychiatrists, they don't show them. I'm like, don't tease me, guys. Don't tease <laughs> me. Um, I thought she was fine. I mean, she definitely looked more politician than lawyer. You know, in terms of casting, the hair, she had the politician helmet head. Yeah. Well, um, she did give this episode one good withdrawal. <laughs> Oh, that was great. Yes. Which is 
<laughs> so she's going to say something outrageous. So in your professional opinion, Robert's mental breakdown was caused not by the death of his daughter, but by the state's failure to act? And then withdrawn. Withdrawn. <laughs> Jack very slowly standing up. He, he got like two thirds yeah. of the way. <laughs> he was, he was kind of slow. This time you, you could hear the bones creaking in yep. his back. He's like, yep. oh, how many more years do I have to do withdrawn. this? Wouldn't it be so cool if you could do that in real life? Like, you know, say you're in a meeting with your boss and like your boss does something that really pisses you off and you're like, you know what? You can take this job and shove it. Withdrawn. Withdrawn. <laughs> oh, fine. Right. I guess I It's will. like it never happened. That's right. <laughs> that was one of the best fake New York Daily News covers I'd ever seen. Oh, the one at the end? What about Dina Carter? Now that's justice. The very end. With, with a sort of smeared face. It reminded me of the end of Back <laughs> to the Future when it's like Emmett Brown committed Emmett Brown commended. Right. And she's indicted. Right. And let's just say, I know we're jumping ahead, Uh the fact that Branch hadn't heard of the news and didn't hear about it until (laughs) McCoy showed him the newspaper. Like, I'm sorry, isn't it it your department that would have indicted her? I don't know about you guys, but if my boss found out about what we're doing... (laughs) Uh, because it happened, uh, you saw it on the front page of the paper. Right. We'd all be looking for new jobs. Right, right. And then you could be like, take this job and shove it. Withdrawn. Withdrawn. <laughs> hey, there's another, we'll call him a hey, it's that guy. It's the actor who plays Rob Purcell. Hmm. His name is Jeremy Davidson. Twelve jurors voted for the death penalty three times. Even the district attorney tried to make it happen. All I did was carry out the will of the people. Mm-hmm. And he is. Just tell us, we don't know. He's Mr. Mary Stuart Masterson. <laughs> oh, he's he's married to Iggy. Yes. <laughs> oh, Iggy, get your foot out of that railroad tie. <laughs> <laughs> well, we bring up uh, Mr. Davidson because halfway through this episode, he had a blood vessel that burst in his eye. <laughs> it was some kind of wonderful, wasn't can't it? Can't we delay shooting a day just till this thing goes away? Yeah. Or can't we just? I mean. They write in the diabetes storyline to get him to the street. Why can't they write in like he got punched at Rikers? Yeah. They don't even yeah. acknowledge it. And the viewers were just sitting there watching him in court, just sitting there like a normal day wearing a suit and tie with a bloody eye. Stop <laughs> and the it. Ju- there's a judge with a hair lip in this episode. <laughs> it's, it's a really interesting episode for pretty diverse facial uh, deformities. Yeah. 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 But, uh, Nick, if you ever showed up on set like with a, all of a sudden a blood... <laughs> Vessel burst in your eye. Would you have to like go to the continuity director and oh, say, they, they would just, "Remember yesterday? <laughs> Let's just do that over again." Yeah, they would just throw you back home. They just send you back home and get another guy to be the tattooed uh, body cadaver number mm. two. Hey, you know, so Ruba Rosa. First of all, yeah, I don't want to be sexist, but I can say because I'm a woman. She's once again completely gorgeous in this episode. I yeah. only think if the Ruba Rosa green like beauty contest was like. Really if, if it's going to be a beauty contest, I think she's probably the most attractive actor they've ever had. Probably. Yeah. Which is why Cutter was in love with her, which is why they like created a spinoff show around her, which mm-hmm. is ultimately unsuccessful because you can't have a show on just looks alone. But anyway, she did, by the way, predict this entire damn outcome, like, early in the second half. All things a little convenient, don't you think? What? Purcell killing Borgage a month before the election, Dina Carter catching the case. What about it? She's either very lucky or... You think Dina's involved? All I'm saying is I wouldn't be shocked if there was more puppet mastering going on behind the scenes than we know about. She floats the idea that it's Dina Carter who set up this whole thing, right? Because she's wicked smart. (laughs) And wicked pretty. Wicked pretty. (laughs) Okay, so we have Purcell who shot the man who shot his daughter. Mm. And they have, you know, lots of 
very interesting discussions at the DA's office about whether or not they're being hypocritical and punishing a man who did something that the state was going to do mm-hmm. if it could. You shot him because it was the will of the people. That's right. You fired three hollow point bullets into the chest of the man who murdered your daughter and you weren't even thinking about her? Tell the truth, Mr. Purcell. Was this justice or was it revenge? If you're on that jury, do you convict Purcell for that? Or do you forgive him for... What, for killing the guy? Yeah. Yeah, you can't do that. Well, what's ironic is that Jack McCoy, who had just been arguing for the death penalty, Hmm. gives a great anti-death penalty argument when he cross-examines Purcell, right? It's like the slippery slope. You can't do the irrevocable thing without giving somebody their day. But I will say this episode is a new take on the death penalty in terms of what is the danger if this person is not given uh, a death sentence, which is he will escape again. That is the only defense they keep using in this in this episode is I'll just get out again. I'll escape again and I'll kill more people, which is not really a credible thing. I mean, right. people don't escape that often. No. From life sentence without parole. <laughs> he already did it once. He did. <laughs> He did it once. He I just needs a couple, of, a couple of Peyton Manning loving. He just, yeah, he just needs guards. like, yeah, a note on his file that says, "Don't talk about football." Don't talk in front about of this football guy. with yeah. this guy. <laughs> Don't give him a pen to sign. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's- Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This episode takes some plot points from the 1984 vigilante slaying of an accused child molester by the victim's father. Baton Rouge karate teacher Jeff Doucette kidnapped an 11-year-old student named Jody Plochet. He took the boy cross-country to a motel in California where he sexually assaulted him. Police learned Doucette had been molesting the student for more than a year. Authorities were able to locate Doucette after he let Jody make a collect telephone call to his mother. When a handcuffed Doucette returned to a Louisiana airport, a local television crew was waiting for him. So was Jody Plochet's father. As the suspect walked past the cameras, Gary Plochet removed a handgun from his boot and shot Doucette at point-blank range before immediately surrendering himself to stun police officers. Gary Plochet was charged with second-degree murder but made a plea deal with prosecutors. The judge gave the father a suspended sentence and five years probation. After suffering a stroke, Gary Plochet died in a nursing home in 2014 at the age of 68. 
Okay, so there there are actually several rip from the headline plots sort of stuck in here, interwoven in this episode. There are several school shootings, yep. uh, fast food restaurant shooting, uh, the death penalty debate, as we talked about, the escape and killing spree of a Canadian convict who picked his handcuffs with a piece of plastic hidden in a cigar. Hmm. Who knew that Canadian convicts could smoke cigars? <laughs> was he sorry after? He was he was oh. not sorry. <laughs> uh, but let's look at this case. Dad kills his son's molester. He gets probation. This right. really happened. Is this too light of a sentence for a premeditated murder? Yes. What's the next question? Yeah. All right. So Wait. you... I want to know why. Why was the the TV crew was there? You said, yeah. So, do you, was there any sort of instigation? Maybe just because I've seen this episode, like, did he do it because the TV crew was there? No, apparently. And you can actually see this clip on YouTube. Yeah, you, your eyes went by. It's actually not as it's not gory. As, it's not what you think it would be. So like Jack Ruby going Oswald. <laughs> <laughs> It's very much like that. The, the in the shot, I got to say this. Okay, in the the film, we'll call it that. The police are coming with the with the suspect down a hallway, and so the camera is kind of following it. It pans right to left, and on the opposite side, you can see the father, mm. and uh, you can see him take a step forward. Where the uh, the convict goes, he actually passes behind uh, a guy standing on the side, right? And you just see him falling forward on the other side. So you never see like an impact, right? You know, from a headshot or something like that. But you do hear the gun and see him fall forward, and then the cops rush the other guy, and they were saying, "Why, Gary? Why?" Because they they obviously felt a lot of him. sympathy for yeah. the guy, and yeah. they're like, "Why did you have to do this?" Right? Because and- it is wrong. I'm sorry. I don't think this is political. I'm very comfortable just stating my opinion. It is wrong to plan to kill somebody and then kill that person. I mean, there's not I mean, if you are not an imminent danger, if you are not protecting yourself, if you are not protecting your child from being abused again by the same person, then we're talking like different circumstances. Right. This guy had been caught. I agree, Rebecca. I agree in the rule of law, and I think you know there should be due process for this. It's guy. a slippery slope. But, uh, it's a slippery slope. But then, but then I'm about to say the three worst words you can say in the English language: as a father. Withdrawn. <laughs> withdrawn. <laughs> I withdraw my seed. I wish I could have now withdrawn that, a little earlier. Now that I'm a father, I have morals that other people don't possess. Yeah. But I'm saying that my point was that as a father, I don't know. I don't know the situation. I don't have enough information on the situation. I would. I don't know what I would do in that situation. Is what right. I'm gonna say. Yeah, and obviously, you know, he did commit a crime, and he got well on probation because I think probably the judge felt like he's well, not going to do it again. He's not going to do it again. He hadn't offended before. He never offended afterwards either. Uh, what if somebody else abused his kid in the future? You don't think he would do it again? Well, that would be very bad luck, wouldn't it? I would it. I mean, I'm just saying. Like, I don't think there's no situation in which we can say this guy wouldn't do it again. I'm saying, like, you have to take all these things into consideration. And if he were, like I said, trying to protect something else from happening to him or his own child, I can sort of justify it in my head in a weird way. I'd still say it's wrong, but justify it. Can't do it in this situation. I can't do it. Also, killing him in front of all those people, it's like kind of like a martyrly act, too, in a way that makes me uncomfortable. Mm. Well, I think it's the one time. Well, I mean, look how difficult it was for uh, Rob Purcell to kill the bad guy in this episode. Right. Yeah, you know? he got a text alert from, uh, from, <laughs> from Dina Carter. The yeah. time has changed. I had to know exactly when to go and show up at the Sally Port to, yep. uh, to shoot him <laughs> on the way. The, they were able to crack the case because Doucette allowed um, the boy to call home. Right. And of course, you know how they caught him. How's that? 
Star 69. Yeah, he used 10, 10, 3, 2, 1 make that call. <laughs> that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Nick Capodice. Nick, how can our listeners follow you online? You can go to Civics 101 Pod at Twitter. And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod and follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valley's content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. Get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories when we remember to save the recording. A week early. Sign up for Stitcher Premium. Get your first month free at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. I yes, thought I was forgiven. I know I am number one. Withdrawn. Uh, all clips in this podcast were used. Withdrawn. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter and for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. Wow. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now... There's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.